Okay, enough of that. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter number 2. Colossians chapter number 2. I just want to focus in quickly tonight on just one line of thought. You know, a few weeks ago I preached about a delightful discovery and the good part of the sermon had to do with defeating depression and got down toward the end of the message and I pointed out that Christ expected his discouraged disciples to trust him. And as I said then, you know, I'm very much aware of the fact that a lot of people think that is just being too simplistic. Someone will pour out their their heart in describing their problems and uh, looking for an answer, a ray of hope and If you say, look, it all boils down to this, you can't understand it and I can't explain it, you're going to have to just trust God. And it's like you've almost offended them. And yet that is exactly what the Bible tells us to do. And so tonight I want to speak to you for a little while about the force of faith, the force of of faith. And the problem, the difficulty with this message is that there is just so much the Bible has to say about the matter of faith that it's difficult to know where to start, where to stop, where you go throughout the course of the message. And, and, uh, but, but I hope I can make my point. And a lot of times we sing that song, you know, simply trusting every day. Do we really? You know, I'm afraid that our faith falters more than what we would like to admit. I think the reason that the Lord put this message on my heart is uh, in part due to some of the things that I said this morning. You think about the world that we live in, the difficulties that we face. But John and I were talking just a little while ago about that very thing. He he brought me a copy of uh, this Descent by uh, Judge Scalia, and uh, it's it just uh, it just amazing what's going on. We were talking about, you know, our concern for you know our children and our grandchildren and uh, great grandchildren, and the world that uh, they're going to have to face. You know, some of us are not going to be around all that much longer, and. Uh, you know, maybe we can, you know, make it out of here before things really get bad. But it's bad enough now, and it's a tough world to live in, and it's obvious that we fail in a lot of ways more than that we want to admit. And our many failures, I think, is one of the evidences that there are strong forces working against us and I don't know how anybody could deny that. And I'm not just talking about, you know, human flesh and blood kind of forces working against us. I'm talking about foes that we cannot see, the spiritual warfare that we are involved in. And so the question becomes, how can we defeat these foes and how can we live victoriously? And let me tell you, the answer isn't effort. 
to just set our jaw and scotch our feet and square our shoulders and say, I'm going to do it. You know, I, I don't know who wrote that little poem or song, uh, The Little Engine That Could. Well, let me tell you, sometimes the little engine can't. Uh, a lot of times, you know, we uh, make our very best effort, and our best effort is not anywhere near enough. Now, that's not an excuse, you know, to say, well, uh, you know, I'm not even going to try then. No, God expects us to exert our best effort, but I'm telling you, our best effort is not enough for any of us. Somebody else says, well, what we really need is just better education. Well, education is great. I think it's essential for, you know, a strong uh, society. Uh, it's essential for whatever we're going to do, whatever business you're in. You know, you've got to be educated on how to do what you do so you can do it better. But education is not, uh, is not, not the key. Uh, somebody else says, well, uh, experience, that, that, that's, you know, that's the answer right there. Well, experience is a great teacher, not the best, but it's a great teacher. And uh, experience really helps us, you know, to, uh, to get ahead. But let me tell you, there's some problems that experience can't solve. So to cut through the chase and get down to the bottom line, the answer is faith. That's the biblical answer. That is the only answer as to how we can defeat the forces that are against us. The Bible tells us that we're saved through faith rather than works. That's, do you understand how, how difficult it is for some people to believe that? I've had more than one say to me, well, that, that's just too easy. That's too simple. There's got to be more to it than that. My own daddy used to say that. There's got to be more to it than that. You know, surely we've got to do something, you know, to make ourselves acceptable to God. But the fact of the matter is we're saved by grace through faith. I, that's as simple as it can possibly be. And talking to uh, Sue this morning, I emphasized that fact. That, you know, it's faith, just faith. It's not saying a prayer. It's not walking down the aisle. It's not getting on your knees. It's not being baptized. It's none of those things. It's just faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're saved by faith, but we're also to walk by faith. Here in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 5 and 6, he says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit. Join and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Notice Paul says, I have taken note of the steadfastness of your faith. In Christ. So just as we're saved by grace through faith, we are to, we are to walk in faith. That word walk speaks about our conduct, our daily deportment, our manner of life. It has to do with the way that we live and the way that we are to live is by faith. And so that tells me that if the Bible says the just shall live by faith and we're not living by faith, then, you know, if we're not walking in faith, we're walking what? By sight. And if we're walking by sight rather than by faith, we're living in rebellion. We'll see here in, in just a little bit that God demands. It's not something that, 
you know, that he just makes a request. God is demanding that we trust him. Now, first of all, when we think about faith, the first thing we need to think about is the object of our faith. And there's a sense in which everybody is walking by faith every day. Whenever you jump in the car and you start down the road and you see a stoplight, stop sign, and you put your foot on the brakes, you're trusting those brakes to stop that vehicle. I mean, you know, there's, I can remember years ago, uh, I had an old 51 Ford and you had to pump the brakes up all the time. You better start stopping before you got there or, or you were in a bunch of trouble. Uh, but nowadays you don't have to worry much about that. And so you just trust the, bra- uh, the brakes to stop the car. You put your money in a bank and, and you're trusting the bank to take care of your money. All those poor folks in Greece, I'll tell you what, it's looking like that, that they're about to lose absolutely everything they've got in their, in their banks. And you, you think about that, saving up all of your life and what have you, and then the government to confiscate your money and take it because they are bankrupt. And, and the amazing thing is a lot of people think, oh, that could never happen in America. Don't you kid yourself. It can happen overnight in America. And uh, it's something we need to think about. But we all, all of us that have money in the bank, uh, uh, we're trusting the bank, right? We, we don't know anything about the banker. Not only that, we'll go to the doctor, get a prescription, take it down to the pharmacist, give it to, you know, some uh, uh, pharmacist in there that we've never met and uh, fills up a bottle of pills and we take the pills and we put our trust in that doctor and in that medicine, even though we don't understand it. You know, we get on a plane and we trust the pilot to get us to our destination. Well, we don't know that pilot from from whoever, you know. We, we never met him before in our life, know nothing about his skills or whatever. He might have been out partying all night and have a hangover, or he might be up there snorting coke. I mean, we have no idea what's going on. We get on that plane, we trust him anyway. We're putting our faith in him. So it's the object of our faith that makes the difference. Who you believe and what you believe is going to determine the outcome of your life. And so uh, where are we going to put our faith? What is the object of our faith? Well, the object of our faith is God, naturally. And because of the fact that God never lies... And because God never changes, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, we can rely upon what He says. And there are just so many verses in the Bible that we could read and talk about uh, emphasizing the fact that God doesn't change and God doesn't lie. I love what it says in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, God is not a man that He should lie. Neither the Son of Man, that he should repent, uh, hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Aren't you glad that you serve a God that you can depend upon, someone you can rely upon? That whenever he speaks, you know that he speaks the absolute truth. When he gives a promise, you know that you can depend upon it. And so... So the object of our faith is in God. The problem is, 
is that sometimes our faith in God is limited by our knowledge or lack of knowledge of God because the degree of our faith is determined by the depth of our knowledge of God. That's why in Romans 10, 17, it says, So faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You know, that's more than just memorizing verses of the Bible. As important as that is, just memorizing those verses of the Bible doesn't really do anything. You know, you can teach a parrot to recite verses from the Bible, but, you know, that absolutely doesn't mean the parrot knows anything about God. But as we study the Word of God, we learn more about God. We become better acquainted with God. And as a result of that, the more we know about God, the closer we are to God, the more prone we are to trust God. You know, it's just in my nature, and I can't explain why, but it's just in my nature to not trust people. Bev can tell you that. I've heard her say, you, 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 you just don't trust people enough. You don't, you know, you don't trust anybody, do you? And the answer to that is, no, I, I don't trust anybody I don't know. I, I really don't. I don't trust a lot of people I know. But the better I know someone, you know, and I know they're good, decent, godly people, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll trust them to, you know, to the last degree, the people here in this building, I, I you know, I trust completely. I, no problem doing that. And that's because I know you. And the better I know God, listen, there's a big difference between just, you know, knowing about God and actually knowing God. You know, I think sometimes we lose sight of that, you know, that we think about an intimate relationship. And the Bible certainly speaks about our intimacy with God, that it's more than just knowing all of these facts about God, but it's knowing God in a very intimate way. And and as a result of that, it's easy for us to trust God because we know that He's never failed. We know that He's going to do exactly what He promised. And so because of that, we can have great expectations. You know, it's a sad thing whenever we Christians lose our expectations. You know, we come to church, we don't expect anything to happen, you know. Or we give to a missionary and we don't expect anything to ever come of it or whatever. But we can have great expectations because we know that God is faithful to keep His promise. And as you look through these letters of Paul, in every single one of them, there will be some reference to, to the benefit that the people have derived as a result of having trusted in God. Whether it's, you know, writing as Peter did to a people that have been, you know, they've been uh, abused, they've been horribly uh, persecuted, they've been driven from their homes, and both James and Peter writes about that as Paul did, and the fact that they were sustained by their faith in the Lord. So you see, this is more than just positive thinking. Norman Vincent Peale wrote the book, The Power of Positive Thinking. Well, I think it helps to have a good positive attitude, you know, in, in things in general. I think that's helpful and healthy maybe to all of us to do that. But there needs to be some grounds for our positive attitude. Because just 
having positive thoughts does not give you a guarantee that, that everything's going to turn out all right. It's our trust in God that assures us of our blessings. And uh, whenever we think about what we face as a nation, or you think about what you're facing as an individual, or, or the situation that maybe your family is in, or whatever it is, uh, you, you know, it, it just gets down to the fact that we have to trust God because He's trustworthy. But have you ever stopped to think about, you know, we know that God is the object of our faith, but what's the objective of our faith? What's the objective of it? I, I mean, what's the expected outcome? What do we hope to accomplish by our faith? Well, I don't need to tell you, a lot of preachers have misled a lot of people about this. You know, the prosperity preachers and telling you, you know, that, boy, you need to have great faith in God because in doing so, God's going to just pour out His blessings upon you and you can live in a mansion and drive a Cadillac and da-da-da. And It's all about how we personally benefit from trusting in God. Well... It goes without saying that we do benefit from trusting in God, right? I mean, that's, that's a, a fact. That the Bible tells us that very clearly, that God blesses those who trust Him. But although we profit from it, that is not the primary reason that we trust in God. The most important factor is found in Hebrews eleven six, where it says, For without faith it is impossible... To please Him. You can't please God without faith. So that's the objective of faith. Pleasing God. By the way, that ought to be our primary purpose in living, you know, that we glorify God by trusting Him. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him, it says in Hebrews. I'm not going to take the time, but that phrase, diligently seek Him, if you go back and look, especially throughout the Old Testament, you can look in Isaiah and Jeremiah, the book of Amos, or you can come to the New Testament in Matthew 6:33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. In all of those instances, we find that phrase, about seeking God as a synonym for faith in God. It means exactly the same thing. So whenever he tells you to seek the Lord, that's not any different than telling you to trust the Lord. And when we do, we benefit from it, but mainly we do it because it pleases God. And that's what our life ought to be all about, pleasing the Lord. Well... That brings us to something else, and that's the obligation concerning faith. Turn over to John chapter 6 for a moment. And I want to speak about the obligation because a lot of folks have the idea, you know, and I've heard them say, well, I wish I had as much faith as you do or, or somebody else. I wish I had as much faith as oh so-and-so does. And uh, a lot of people have develop the habit of excusing themselves for lacking faith, you know. That's uh, kind of like saying, you know, I, I wish I was six foot ten inches tall like Bill Russell was so I could dunk a basketball. 
you know, well, you can wish all you want, but that's not going to make it happen. And, uh, and you've got an excuse for that. It's not in your genes, right? You don't have to worry about that. You can excuse yourself. You don't have to feel guilty, you know, that I'm not six feet, ten inches tall. No problem there. But when it comes to faith and our lack of faith, there is a problem because the Lord is demanding faith from us. Here in John chapter 6, let's begin in verse number 28. And then they, they, then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Wow. This is the work of God. This is exactly what God requires. This is exactly what God demands. The work of God is that we just trust Him. Chapter 20 and verse 27 here in John. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And notice now, because this is emphatic, be not faithless. The Lord's emphatic about Don't be faithless. It's not a request, but believing. And so this makes it an absolute necessity in their Numerous verses that talk about that very thing, that God is commanding us to trust Him. For example, whenever He speaks about the matter of repentance uh, there in the book of Acts, and it says, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You know, that's more than an invitation to a lost person to repent of their sins, you know, and be saved. It, it's a command. And that's why every unsaved person is living in rebellion against God because they haven't repented. And the same thing is true when it comes to faith. God is commanding us to trust Him. That's the obligation that each and every one of us have. So if I refuse to trust God, regardless of what the situation is, you know, and I excuse myself by saying, you know, uh, this problem is too big, it's too overwhelming, it, it just is so large that, that I just don't have enough faith. We don't have anybody to blame but ourselves because God tells us trust Him regardless of the conditions. And if I don't, then I'm living in rebellion. If it's a command to trust Him and I'm not trusting Him, my faith is lacking then I'm living in rebellion against Him. So how can we expect God to bless us personally or as a church if we don't trust Him? I'm so thankful that the faith of people in this church is so evident that whenever, you know, we've got a need, and hey, this when I say this, that's not to say that there's not some times that, you know, whenever we have a challenge before us that we have to stop and look and say, okay, you know, or is this something, you know, that's doable right now and so forth unless God tells us to do it. But but I've, I've been in churches where, man, I, I mean, there's going to be some objection to buying anything. 
And, and I'll guarantee you there's some little old country churches that had you got up and said, you know, we need $2,500 uh, in, in order to get a new computer for the sound system and what have you. There'd be some argument about it. I guarantee you I've been there and done that, know what I'm talking about. And you would be shocked if you knew how many churches operate like that. And it's so refreshing to know that when people just, when they're trusting God and there's a need that arises that it doesn't have to be some great big deal, but rather people just, you know, if that's what we need and, you know, God has supplied our need and God's leading in that direction, then it's time to do it because we're obligated to do it. And so if we begin to hold back, either as a church or individuals, excusing our faith, well, then we're in rebellion against God and we can't expect God to do anything uh, special for us when we end up losing those blessings. Be not faithless, he said. And that same command extends to you and I. Well, now turn to James, and I want to read just a a couple of verses uh, here that has to do with the obedience of faith. You know, some people said at the very beginning, people think, well, there's got to be more to it than that. Surely what God really wants is for us to obey Him, and as a result of obeying God, we become accepted by God. Now, that sounds logical to the natural mind, right? You know, I want to appease the wrath of God, and I want God to accept me, so I've got to do something. So the something I will do is some act of obedience the Bible says, forsake not the assembly of yourselves together. So I'll, I'll go to church. I, I know that's, that's an act of obedience toward God. I know the Bible teaches about tithing, so I'll start tithing. That's an act of obedience toward God. And so I'll do that, and that'll make God happy. And, you know, maybe he'll forgive my sins and let me into his heaven. And the list just goes on and on and on of doing these acts of obedience But look, we're not accepted on the basis of our acts of obedience. We're accepted by our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we live or walk by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, automatically somebody comes along, and this is what James deals with here. Those people come along and say, oh, well, you know, uh, know, if... uh, if, if, if that's all it takes, and we don't have to worry about any works. We can excuse ourselves. We can just tell other people, oh, I've got faith in God, you know, and that's all that matters. And, and James makes no bones about it and, and in no uncertain terms lets it be known that a faith without works is dead, being alone. Notice what he says in verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, and be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. You know, we're not saved by works. 
We're saved by faith, right? But the faith that saves us is a work that motivates us to act. And we can talk all we want about how great our faith is in God, but if it's real, genuine faith, it's going to end up resulting in obedience. You know, I I think about, you know, whenever Peter preached to the household of Cornelius and they made a profession of faith, and he commanded them that they be baptized that same night. He didn't say, no, I want you all to think about it, pray about it. No, you claim, you claim that you're trusting the Lord. Now, I'm commanding you to give evidence of that by being baptized. And so there is, a, there is an obedience to our faith. You know, and so if we get this faith issue settled... We don't have to worry about whether or not people are going to obey the Lord. So many times, you know, we preachers, we just, uh, we, we just harp and harp and harp on you, you know, as a church member, you ought to do this and you ought to do that. And we just go on and on and on, ranting and raving and, and angry at those that refuse to obey the Lord. The, the problem with those folks is the lack of faith. And we, that's why it's important that we deal with this faith issue. If their faith wasn't lacking, their, their works wouldn't be lacking. It's just that simple. Because when our faith is strong, our activity is going to be great and we'll have a desire to obey the Lord. Now, lastly, the outcome of our faith. I want to mention six things. I could probably mention a dozen, but there's six things I want you to consider about the outcome of our faith. In the first instance, First John chapter number 5 and verse number 4 tells us that faith enables us. And I want you to listen carefully to what he says, what it enables us to do, because we've been talking about how bad the world is, how bad the world is getting, how dangerous the world is. But listen to what he says in 1 John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Now listen, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So we overcome the world by our faith. It's not by our effort, you know. It's not by trying hard, doing better. We overcome uh, by faith. What, what's the opposite of overcoming? Well, I guess it'd be being overcome, right? We look around us today and we think about all of those that are being overcome, being defeated, uh, giving in to the world, as it were. And why is it? It's all because of a lack of faith, because faith enables us to overcome. Not only that, Romans chapter 6, and we see that faith causes us to crucify, put to death the flesh. Now remember, we've got three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We just dealt with the world, right? Faith enables us to overcome the world. But here in Romans 6, and notice in verse number 4, he says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So we're different than we've ever been before as a result of what Christ did. But notice how this goes because he says, verse 6, 
knowing. There's three key words here to us overcoming the flesh. Knowing, knowing, having the facts. And then he says, not only in knowing, but verse 11, and this is the key, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In verse 13, he says in the middle of that verse, but yield yourselves unto God. Now, looking at that word reckon there in verse number 11, there's so many times when we think about faith, we think about it, you know, for example, uh, as hope. We, we hope things will turn out like this or like that. In other words, we use that as, as a wish. I wish things would turn out well. But in the Bible, whenever it speaks about hope, it's speaking about our faith in the future, our faith of what, you know, God will do in the future, what's going to happen in the future. But whenever we think about faith in the Bible as related to the past, this word reckon covers that. Reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin. And the whole point of the matter is, because of what Christ did on the cross, because of that, we are enabled to overcome the power of sin in our lives. And he says, reckon yourselves to be dead. You know that that's uh, up in, up in the in the Ozarks and probably in most country places. You've heard the old timers saying, "Well, I reckon that's so. I reckon that really happened." You know, and uh, that that makes the point. They, you know, they're believing, they're trusting that this really happened. And you and I, as Christians, need to trust God and believe Him when He says that we are dead with Christ, that our old man was crucified with Him because there is power in you and I believing that. Because God says it's so. And so my faith in God then causes me to crucify the flesh. So now we've overcome the world, we've overcome the flesh. Well, that leaves the devil. Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 16. Boy, I wish I had time to look at all of these verses starting in verse number 11, but look at verse 16. Above all. In other words, this is the one thing that you absolutely cannot leave out. This is something that we that's an absolute essential for the Christian. In our spiritual warfare, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherein ye may be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked. So if we're going to overcome, overcome Satan, then we have to, number one, be knowledgeable of the Word of God. Number two, believe the Word of God. Because it's the shield of faith that enables us to quench the fiery darts of the devil. Well, whenever you, in, in, over and over and over, we've talked about the three avenues of temptation. It's the same for everybody. It was the same for Eve. It was the same for the Lord Jesus Christ whenever he was, you know, tempted of the devil. And in every instance, he answered 
with a verse of Scripture. He quoted the Bible, and he was simply using the Word of God as a shield against Satan. And it works the same way with you and I. That's why Bible study is so important, because we've got to know what it says. Faith is so important. We've got to believe what it says. So we overcome the world, we overcome the flesh, we overcome the devil. But beyond that, it secures for us the blessings of God. I don't know anybody that doesn't want to be blessed of the Lord. Do you? I mean, you know, do you want God's blessings upon your life? Well, of course you do. Well, the way to get those blessings upon your life is to, as he says in Second Chronicles chapter number 20, that we're to call upon the Lord. And the result of that is going to be that he'll cause our our way to prosper as a result of that. And by the way, that's not just about, you know, money and material things. Uh, there's a lot of ways that we can prosper even better than having material things. But But we're going to prosper in the very best ways if we trust God. And so it secures for us the blessings of God. And then it gives us joy and peace. Turn to First Peter chapter number 1. First Peter chapter number 1. And I want you to notice what he says. We're going to start reading in verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively, that is, a living hope. How did he do that? Well, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now listen carefully. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. You know, I read that and I wonder, you know, and and by the way, these are people that have been scattered, persecuted. And he says, notice, wherein ye greatly rejoice. I know a lot of professing Christians that don't greatly rejoice, don't you? There are a lot of, a lot of folks, a lot of, a lot of members of this very church that They don't greatly rejoice. Well, there's something wrong. Notice, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whenever the Lord said, Be not faithless, but believe, He's talking about something for which we are accountable. And in the day of the Lord's, when we stand before the Lord, we're going to give an account not just for our manner of conduct in that we stopped doing this and stopped doing that and we started doing this and started doing the other, but we're going to have to give an account for the extent to which we trusted Him here in this life. And He says our faith is going to be put to the test. And it will. By the way, you don't really know if it's genuine until it's put to the test. The sad thing is a lot of people fail the test and still think they've got faith that is pleasing to God. And 
And, and, you know, if they know anything about the Bible, they would see, you know, my my faith isn't genuine. It's not real. And we need to understand that faith is going to be put to the test. And just because you're going through a hard time doesn't mean God's angry with you. doesn't mean God is taking out His wrath upon you. It might not mean that God is even trying to correct you. God is simply trying to prove your faith, putting your faith to the test. And so our trials many times are not just for corrective measures, but sometimes they are for preventive measures, trying to not get us out of trouble, but to prevent us from getting into trouble. Well, the last thing, the most obvious thing, is the fact that our faith glorifies God. And that's why we're here. The Lord said, I've created him for my glory. That's the main reason that we're here upon this earth, to glorify God through obedience to his word. And the way we do that is just, you know, by putting our faith in Christ each and every day that we live in there. You know, there's something impressive about that. Whenever you see someone that has suffered a great loss, and they do that with a smile on their face and a spring in their step and joy in their heart, and they've gone through this, this difficult trial, and yet it has not shaken their faith. And there is something eye-catching about that. There's something that your neighbors notice about that. And my, I could mention folks here tonight and the manner in which they went through difficult times. And I, you know, I don't want to dredge up old memories, but many of you, I, I can remember the day that you went through a hard time, something you'd never want to go through again. You were forced to go through it and you came out with flying colors and you went through it in such a way that it was Christ honoring. And believe me, there are people watching that. Now, listen, the, the point is not, the point is not that they're going to look at you and think more of you like, wow, well, that guy is some super-duper saint, you know. Wow, I'm really impressed with him. He's going to be my hero. No, no, that's not the point. The point is whenever they look at you and your behavior during those times and the fact that you're trusting God and they see that your faith is victorious, they're impressed with you all right, but they're more impressed with what God has done in your life. And that's the way it all, that's when he gets the glory out of it, you see. And that's what makes living by faith so very important. I'll never forget Bev and I being down with old brother Roloff whenever he was alive and we, we were down there and uh, spent several days uh, vacation down there with him in the girls' home and and old Brother Roloff probably could sing a little bit better than I do, but he 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 couldn't sing like Barry this morning and some of you. He, but he'd get up there and start singing, Living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in his great love. And boy, it'd just tear your heart out whenever you listen to that old man 
sing about simple faith in God. And I'm telling you, folks, that, that's what it's all about. That's the only way we're going to get through this mess that we're in. The only way we're going to maintain a good testimony. And it's the only reason that anybody else is going to believe that you're really a Christian and that your God is the God that they need is when they see you and I putting it in shoe leather each and every day of our life. So, as Paul said, we are, notice, to, we are to walk in Christ, and we do that through faith in Him, simply trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your loving kindness and Your blessings. We thank You for Your Word that not only enlightens our mind, but it stirs up our heart and moves us emotionally, but also because that it builds us up in our faith. And Lord, whenever we look at the difficulties that we face, we look at the evil that is in the world, and then we look at the, at the weakness of our flesh and our lack of ability to cope with what's going on around us. And I just pray you'll impress upon our hearts tonight that it's not up to us, but rather it's you working in and through us. And so help us tonight to not grow weary in well-doing. Help us to not be given over to despair, but help us to retain our joy and our peace by trusting You to such a great extent that even others that watch us day in and day out, that they will realize that indeed that our God is the very God that they need. And we know that's the only way that we'll ever reach those people with the gospel. So help us to be that Bible that some people will never read. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.